You're listening to audio from Grove Park Baptist Church. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.groveparkchurch.net. invite you to take your copy of God's Word now and turn to Acts chapter number 12. While you are doing so, a reminder that our last night of Anastasis is tonight. The Reverend Chris Howe and the congregation of First Baptist Church Graham will be with us. Their choir will be leading in worship, and so we know it will be a good night. I want to take a moment personally and say thank you to all who went to Union Chapel on Tuesday night. It was a wonderful service uh, and a, a foretaste of heaven. I can't get quite past that thought about it, and so we are thankful for all who went there. You know, these uh, welcome videos this summer have all been fun. Uh, they've required a lot of thought and, you know, what are we going to do next? And, and uh, this morning, the welcome video ended. Liza saw it for the first time this morning. She said, welcome video ended. She leaned over and she said, well, why didn't you just run out of the scene? And I thought about that. And my answer, darling, is because then they really would have known it was an act. Uh, me running somewhere. Uh, so uh, we, 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 we want you to visualize what you can do, that it is not an act. And so, uh, and for some of you, that might mean running out of the scene. It does not mean that to me. All right. So Acts chapter 12 is where we are this morning. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we give you thanks today that you are always seeking to draw us nearer, that you're always inviting us further and further into your presence. And as we pause and look at this text today, help us, Lord, to see how it is that we spurn your invitation. so that, Lord, we could cast aside those encumbrances and go swimming in the depths of your glory and love. Father, bless me with the words that are needed for those gathered here as we make our prayer now in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we looked in Acts chapter 2, at the principles that governed the early church and talked about them as the fuel for the remarkable growth that the early church achieved in its first 30 years of existence. Fuel, though, has to go somewhere. And so what was the source that the fuel went to that sort of ran the show Well, the engine of the early church, I think if you read through the book of Acts, is prayer. More specifically, it is corporate or or gathered prayer in which they came together as one to beseech the face of God on a given matter. We saw that in 
Acts 2 last week when the scriptures tell us that they devoted themselves to prayer. But before that, we see that the church is birthed in Acts 1 in a prayer meeting, a corporate prayer meeting. Acts 4, we see them yet again gathering together after the first imprisonment of Peter, praying for boldness and for God to do even more wondrous things in the life of his people. When Paul is converted in Acts 9, he is told his conversion is spoken of in this manner. He is praying now. In other words, prayer is the sign of his conversion. Acts 10 tells us that it is through God speaking to Cornelius and Peter, both at the hour of prayer, that the gospel is first directed to the Gentiles. Clearly, worship through prayer is continually changing history in the book of Acts. Now, you may be asking yourself, how is prayer worship? Well, beloved, anytime we declare the matchless glory of God, we are worshiping. Anytime we understand that we are limited, but he is limitless, that he can do anything, we are worshiping. And really, aren't these two instances at the heart of true prayer? A declaration of the glory of God and the fact that he can do everything and we are limited Prayer, beloved, is not, as some have told me in the past, thinking. Someone asked someone one time, uh, they were contemplating a run for the North Carolina house, and they uh, came up to me and were talking to me about it, and, and I said, well, have you prayed about it? He said, well, I, I've been thinking about it. I said, no, that's not what I asked you. Have you prayed about it? And he said back to me, prayer is thinking. No. When I think, I talk to Mark. When I pray, I talk to God. Mark doesn't have a lot of answers. God has all the answers. And the question sometimes must be for us, are we thinking or are we praying? Prayer is seeking the face of God in pure adorative, glorifying worship. So it isn't a surprise when we enter today's text that we find the church in crisis and in earnest prayer. Notice with me verses one through five. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out of the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to the church by God. Why is earnest prayer being made for the life of Peter? Well, we've seen earlier that this text, James has been killed. 
James and Peter are the leaders of the early church at this point. And, and so it is that maybe Herod is thinking to himself that he can cut off the proverbial head of the snake and be done with these meddlesome Christ followers that seem to be stirring up everything all the time. And certainly a, a, an entity without good leadership is in danger of destruction. But he forgot one thing. The church is a praying body. The church here goes to praying. Verse number five tells us that it is earnest prayer. Uh, that another way to define that is ceaseless prayer. One of the things that I simply cannot understand about the modern church is that we pray so little, especially as a gathered body as Acts so clearly teaches us. Beloved, when we come together and pray, there is power in it. And if nothing else, there is power in the sheer volume of the fact that people we know are praying on the same front as we are praying. Great example of that this past week when we were gathered together at Union Chapel. Church, uh, everyone's down front at the end of church. It's, church is uh, full and so we've got a large group of people and, and I got to the end of the benediction and, and then I called the whole body into prayer corporately to pray loud the Lord's Prayer. Now think about that. It went from one verse, and one voice, excuse me, to a hundred plus voices. And in that, I was reminded powerfully that God gives us our daily bread, that God's kingdom is coming, that God protects us. The reverberation of it in the building reverberated in my soul. Beloved, there is amazing power when the people of God pray together. Now, some of us are busy people. And we say, we just, we just can't make time for it. Well, what if I ask you, beloved, this question? What if I said, we're going to have a prayer meeting, and in that prayer meeting, we're going to pray for lost people? Would you make time? I sincerely hope the answer to that is yes. Well, good news, beloved. Every Wednesday night, we gather as a church and we pray for lost people. We have three bowls just like this, and their names are in these three bowls. People all around can write the name of someone that's lost and put it in that bowl, and we're going to pray for it. So, beloved... What's your excuse? I personally would love it because I understand some folks can't get out at night. Some life is busy. I understand that. I really do. But I would love it if on Wednesday afternoon at about one o'clock the phone just buzz, 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 buzz in the office because people were calling Vicky to say, Vicki, what's the prayer guide for tonight? 
I can't make it, but at 6.30 where I am, I want to be praying. Boy, that would be wonderful. That would, that would rattle places with the church coming together to pray. The church here in Acts 12 is a church in crisis. And the state of the matter is this, there's not a church in the world today that does not find itself in a similar precarious situation as that church did in the text. But there are few who understand and apply the biblical witness to change the projection of their history through prayer. Now some might start off with an understanding of that but when things don't change immediately, they start to slack off in the fervency and earnestness of their prayer. Notice verse six. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and centuries before the door were guarding the prison. Remember, this is taking, taking place originally in Passover. Now we've, we're, we're probably past Passover. Some days have intervened. Maybe they went and prayed that first night, but it doesn't seem to have happened yet. The text does seem to point that there are a few days between Peter's arrest and his midnight jailbreak. Beloved, how often do you stop praying because it hasn't shown up in the time you think it should have? God does not work on our clock. God is never, ever late. In fact, God shows up at the time and moment that would invoke the greatest worship and thanksgiving. Because ultimately, it's not about you and I getting what we want. It's about him getting the glory he deserves. We should never, ever let our prayer life slack because we, perceive, we fail to perceive what God is doing. In the instance of the text, though, this morning, it is a failure to perceive what God is doing that comes part of Peter's problem. Notice with me, verse number seven. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands and the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them on its own accord. And they went out and went along one street and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people are expecting. Beloved, oftentimes we cannot perceive what God is doing in answering our prayers because we believe we have one answer that is the only answer and God has a better answer. And because it's not our answer, we miss it. Peter 
can't think that the whole thing that's happening is real. Notice it says Peter thinks he's having a vision. At the end it says, and Peter came to himself. In other words, Peter's light bulb went off and he said, whoa, this is really going on. Maybe Peter thought there was a different answer. Maybe he's going to get a pardon like before. Maybe he's, he's going to go out with a, a slap on the wrist like back over in Acts 4 where they tell him, all right, Peter, you can go, but don't preach. Keep your mouth shut, Peter. Uh, we'll, let's, we'll give you this one more time. Clearly, Peter does not expect a midnight jailbreak. It seems too outlandish. Did you catch all the stuff that's going on? Peter has to get dressed. The chains have to fall off. There is a lot of movement going on in here. Chains are clanking, doors are opening, and somehow or another, everybody is staying asleep. And Peter says, this can't be the answer from God. Ah, I believe Peter had been praying. But I, I think it's important to note that there was, remember that other group that was praying too. That corporate group, remember back in verse number five, they said, and they were praying for Peter. We have no clue what they were praying. They may very well have been praying. Lord, let this be absolutely miraculous. Lord, just, just pick him up like you did Philip and move him somewhere else. You know, just handle it like that. We have no clue. But they did. Peter was about to miss it because it was not the answer to his prayer as he thought it to be. Beloved, do you take time to perceive what God is doing and look at all the strings as they come together? Or do you just stick to the one thing in your mind and ignore everything else? You know, one of the, the great things I like about our prayer meeting is that for me personally, I, I get to, to see the strings come together. And a great example of this was this week. Late on Wednesday, I came across an article. I had seen something about it earlier in the day, but I got a fuller article about uh, wildfires in the Amazon. Hadn't heard a thing about it except for that brief blurb that morning. So what did we do? We prayed for the fires in the Amazon on Wednesday night. By the time I got home on Wednesday night and had the news on at 10 o'clock, what are they talking about on the news? The fires in the Amazon. CNN is spending 15 minutes on it. The next day on my news feed on Facebook, it is blowing up about the fires in the Amazon. It seems like that's all anyone is talking about is the fires in the Amazon. And you say, why is that so important, preacher? Easy. Today, or... Thursday, let's put it like that. Thursday, you could have been out to lunch and you could have heard someone say about these fires in the Amazon. And if you were here on Wednesday night, you could have responded, yes, our church prayed for that last night. And you say, what does that mean? Why is that important? Because number one, it shows that our church is relevant and actually thinking about the world beyond us. 
Number two, if it's a younger person, they want to be a part of a church these days that is concerned about creation and we just prayed for the lungs of the earth and shows them that we are concerned about creation. So now you have a wonderful opportunity to do what? We'd love to have you on Sunday morning at Grove Park. You see how all the strings come together? But beloved, if we're not even paying attention to the strings, as Peter isn't here, we miss it. But it goes another step. I believe there's one other reason why our prayer life slacks, and it's found in the undertone of the next verses of the text. When we realized that, when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. <laughs> now, beloved, clearly they didn't believe God was going to answer their prayer. You say... Where do you see that at? I don't know. Maybe telling Rhoda she's out of her mind. Maybe telling Rhoda it's his angel. Clearly, they do not believe God is going to answer their prayer. Do you really believe that God's going to answer what you're praying for? Do you earnestly believe it with all your heart? And are you doing the things that need to be done to show that you believe God's going to answer your prayer? Beloved, unbelief in prayer does a couple things. Number one, it wrecks the prayer, the, excuse me, it wrecks the faith of someone younger in the faith. Can you imagine Rhoda hears Peter, she runs back inside and is essentially told, girl, you crazy. And she keeps insisting. She's adamant, the scripture tells us. Thank God, right? Thank God. Beloved, are you encouraging people in their faith? Are you discouraging them? Particularly younger folks. She kept insisting. Number two, our unbelief can cause us to miss the answer altogether. Miss the answer altogether? Yes. Beloved, we read this story like it's all done, and it is. But just for a moment, I want you to go to about 2 o'clock in the morning outside of John Mark's mother's house. And I want you to see a man who the next day is going to face death 
as quietly as he can, not knowing what's going on at the jail, but in all likelihood in his mind thinking they're looking for me. He can't yell. He can't, hey, hey, open up. No, he's just standing out there. And meanwhile, they're having a fight inside about whether or not God answered their prayer. You see, beloved, unbelief, unbelief can cause you to miss the knock at the door. And so the question is, what answer to prayer is knocking on the door of Grove Park this morning? And we're missing it. What answer to prayer in your life is knocking on the door and you're missing it? God wants to start something in the life of his people. And I don't mean like start something like, you know, it's Friday night and you, someone makes you mad and you look now, we're going to start something now. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying God wants to start something in the life of his people. And prayer is the kindling by which he starts something. We must simply first be the people of prayer he's calling us to be. Seek his face throughout it and let him come up with the answer. And then open the door where the knock comes. God wants to start something. I see that clearly in the text this morning. Notice with me, verse number 20. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. What's God wanting to start? Well, first, he's tired of playing games with Herod. Herod keeps seeming to get in the way. And so God removes Herod from the picture. The Jewish historian Josephus tells this story of that is found here in the book of Acts, and he adds a few details. He, he talks about the fact that when Herod went out to make this address. He is dressed in a resplendent silver robe that just shines like he's some candle, uh, some light. And he goes out. And that's part of why they're saying the voice of a God. But Herod doesn't stop them in their blasphemy, he glories in their adorations. He gloried us in our adorations in part because remember, they, they and him hadn't been getting along. And, he, and so he put them on the outs there at the beginning here in verse number 20. But, but now they've come to him and so he's, he's glorying in it. And God says enough. You'll no longer be an impediment 
to the work of my church. And the biblical account here of God, of the God sending worms to eat him is mild compared to what Joseph said, Josephus said. It was agonizing. But then notice verse 24. But the word of God increased and multiplied. God gets Herod out of the way. The people have been praying and God starts something. The church grows. It increases and multiplies. That's what the word of God, the word of God going out is supposed to bring people to faith by faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we know as the word of God goes out, it brings people to faith. And so if the word of God is increasing and multiplying, people are coming to faith. The church is growing, verse number 24. And in verse number 25, the church is really about to get going because notice he's about to send Paul and Barnabas out on their first missionary journey and history changed and it all started in a prayer meeting God beloved wants to start something he wants to start something in your life he wants to start something in the life of our church he wants to start something in his church around the world but we have to follow his prescription and his prescription is a call to prayer. Earnest prayer. He's knocking. Will you answer today? Let's pray. Father, no great revival, no great revival has ever occurred in your history that was not birthed and invigorated with prayer. So Lord, I pray today that you would impose upon every heart here a call to prayer. And Lord, we would be fervent about it. We would devote ourselves to corporate prayer. And Lord, we would believe that you're going to do great things. As the one of old, Lord, we say, believe, help now our unbelief. Speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Where's God speaking to you today? What's he calling you to? Is he calling you to that devoted life of prayer? Then I hope you'll answer. Maybe today he has laid again on your heart one person that he wants you to come to faith and you haven't, you haven't told any about that, about that. You just, you've got it on your mind. You say, today I'm gonna commit to coming together with the body to pray for this person. Guess what, we brought in a fishbowl we got slips of paper. You bring a pen, you can write it down. You can pray. Put it in a bowl. Maybe it's another issue. Maybe God's calling you to faith today and you've not come yet, but he's calling you. Maybe he's calling you to be part of a bunch of people who desperately want to see God move. 
Maybe it's something else. I, I don't know. Whatever it is, though, God put it on your heart. He'll do it if you'll just answer the knock at the door. So as we stand to sing, would you come?